Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. God's been good to you, man. Just give him a praise clap. Yeah, he's been so good. It's been so good today, guys. I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Do, do me a real favor, real quick. Just shake somebody's hand, give them a high five, tell me you love them, and tell them they look good today, and fall's coming. Prayer twice a year. Well, we think prayer is pretty powerful. In scripture, there's a man named Jabez. Jabez's name actually means pain. Jabez prayed and he prayed for the Lord to take away his pain right. and to expand his territory. And you know what? The Lord answered his prayer. And then there's a woman named Hannah. Hannah went bitterly before the Lord because she could not have a child. And God answered her prayer. And that child's name was Samuel. And Samuel was the one who anointed David, king of Israel. And then I think of Elijah. He prayed. And then for three and a half years, it didn't rain. But after his assignment was over, he gets back on his knees. He prays. Seven times he prays. And on the seventh time, it started raining. And then there's Jesus in the garden. It said he prayed so hard that blood came out of his brow. And he prayed this prayer, not my will be done, but your will. And that prayer is what gave Jesus the strength to do what we could not. So why do we pray? Why do we spend 21 days of prayer and fasting? Well, we know that prayer works. And so we join us for 21 days of prayer. Man, I love our times of prayer together. Something always shifts when we have these days, of, we have these 21 days of prayer. We do these twice a year and everything changes after these days of prayer. And so if you haven't been joining us, we would love to invite you to finish up. We have 14 days, 15, 13 days left um, of, of doing this and we're gonna end it off October the 1st with a big night of worship. Uh, it's gonna be awesome. Some of you love worship, three of you. We're going to be here, and it's going to be crazy. Um, so it's going to be good. We're going to have not a worship and then uh, doing a couple other fun things that night, installing a few deacons. It's going to be a good day. Uh, so make sure you plan to be here October 1st um, for that not a worship. Be paying attention to all the things that are going on. Also, I want to make you aware of on the 2nd, October 2nd, we're going to go to two services. And uh, it'll be one at nine and one eleven. So depending on what time the Cowboys play, what does it even matter anymore? Yes. 
Okay. Well, depending on what time your team plays, you don't figure out what time to be here. Uh, but it's going to be good, man. It's, we, it's been good. God's been moving. God's been changing things up. And uh, it's just been, it's been a good day. It's been a good day so far. Amen. 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 Um, how many of you guys are really good at like reconciling your bank accounts? Not me. That's why I have my wife. She works at a bank. I have her. So here's a funny story. Uh, when we were first dating, I don't know if it was first date or second date or I don't know. We, we went to a fancy place called Taco Casa. Yeah. You know, hey, when you're young, dumb, and broke, right? There's a song like that. Um, uh, that's all you can do. And so we went to Taco Casa, and I was trying to be the man and pay for her meal. And uh, I get up, and I'm like, oh, I don't have any cash. I have my check- checkbook. I'm like, I write a check. And and buy the food, and then I'm like sitting down. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think I have any money. In my a couple other fun things that night, and, and so I'm like, a few I know I don't have any money. In my it's going to be a good day. Uh, so make sure you plan to be here October first. <laughs> um, for that, not a should be paying. Like I just wrote a hot check. Going on. And I'm also, like freaking out. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, make no, you it's, aware it's okay. it's of on the second, October second, we're going to go to two services. I don't have any money, and I just wrote a hot check. I said, like, can I borrow some money so I can get my check back from Taco Casa? True story. And she's still with me. And she's been bailing me out ever since, man. Uh, but I, I didn't, I failed to reconcile my checkbook. Now, a lot of you younger people are like, what's a checkbook? Well, you go online, you say, do I have money? Yes, I do. Okay, let's spend it. It's basically the same thing. I failed to reconcile. I failed to to add up. I failed to make sure that I had enough to pay the bills that I had. And and because of that, I was withdrawn. And and because I was withdrawn, I didn't have the money. Well, I could buy it, but it's illegal, right, to write a hot check. But I didn't have enough in my account to cover the cost. And many believers don't realize that they're bankrupt. Many people don't realize that their accounts are overdrawn because they don't realize that there's another account at work and that God has given us this account that never runs dry, never runs out. It can't be touched. See, many believers fail to realize that we work in two different accounts. And we fail to see the eternal thing. Paul knew this. And because Paul knew this, he could look at any adversity that came up against him, any trial, any tribulation, and laugh at it. And say, I know things are coming, but I can do it in joy. In Acts chapter 20, we're going to read a little bit about Paul's story. And we're finishing up Paul's third missionary journey. There's a little ring in this. Maybe my voice is ringing. I don't know if I can stop that. But in Acts chapter 20, we see Paul, he's about to go finish up his missionary journey. He's wanting to go to Jerusalem, and every town that he goes to, they tell him not to go. Because, Paul, there's something waiting for you bad. And Paul says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And see now, I'm reading this out of the King James Version, New King James Version. I have my old, really old, very first Bible, very thick. Thank God it's got big print so I can still read it. (laughs) Verse 22, chapter 22, verse 22. 
And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. So the spirit's leading him to go to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count. I want you to hold on to that word. We're going to be talking a word a lot of, about that word count today. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with what? Joy. I've got trials, tribulations, chains waiting for me, but I'm going to finish this thing with joy. And in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. Paul knew that everywhere you go, they were telling Paul, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. There's chains and tribulations waiting for you. He even knew inside the spirit was testifying to him that when he goes to Jerusalem, something is going to happen to him. But he said, Lord, you're drawing me to go there. Thank you for, for telling me that there's going to be trials and tribulations, but I have to go because you've assigned me to go. I've given up everything. I've counted my life as nothing. That word count it comes from a Latin word, and well, the count doesn't, but it also means to consider. Like, I consider myself. He says, I count myself. I consider my life nothing. And the word consider actually means almost to like look at the stars and ponder. It's, 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 it's like looking at the planets and wow, and being in wonder and comparing the greatness of space to the littleness of yourself. It's to consider, it's to ponder, it's to think about. And he's saying, I'm counting my life. I'm counting my life. I'm considering my life in view of God and saying that my life doesn't matter compared to the things of God. He's counting. He's reconciling his accounts. He's looking at, at one hand, he's got this account that he's dealt with, right? His, his world, his life. And on the other hand, he's got this other account that's been given to him when he when he signed up with Jesus. And this account is far outweighing this account. In fact, in Philippians 3, 7, he writes these words in a prison jail, in a prison cell. He writes to the Philippian church and he says this, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, Philippians 3, 7 through 11, that I may gain Christ." And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is faith, thank you, that which is in faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. He says, I have suffered the loss of everything and count them as rubbish. This is New King James, so it's English, Old English, British, you want to say. But rubbish is trash. It's more than trash. It's dumb. So it's useless. He's like, my life is useless. He says, I'm comparing my life to what God has given to me. All that stuff is worthless. What's he comparing? Well, if you read the couple uh, verses back, he's making a case about these people that are wanting the new people coming to faith, new men to get circumcised. And he's saying, you don't need to get circumcised. Jesus has circumcised you in heart. You don't need to do it physically on the outside. Because you know what? Man's tendency is to look on the outside and say, oh, you don't do this. You wear this. You say this way. You, you speak this way. Therefore, you're, you're a Christian. And, and God looks at you and says, do you believe in me? Do you have faith in me? Do you obey me? Do you love me? Those are the markers 
But man tends to look on the outside. You know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't drink, don't dance. I love dancing. These things that people tend to put labels on people and say, well, you can't do these things because these things aren't fitting. But Paul is saying, look, you're circumcised in heart. If anybody has a reason to boast, this is what he's saying in these verses before. He's saying, if anybody has a reason to boast in who they are and their pedigree, it's me. I'm a Jew of Jews. I was born in Tarshish. I was raised and taught by the best. I know I'm zealous for the Lord. He says, but I count all that because Paul lived in luxury. Paul had it made. He had governors handing him papers to go arrest Christians. He was somebody in, 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 in that day. But he gave all that up for Jesus. He gave all that up. He's saying right here, I give all that up. I've weighed, I've measured, I've, I've reconciled my accounts, and I realize now that my life is worthless compared to the glory of Jesus Christ. And he goes, that I know, and he goes this, he goes, the sufferings that I deal, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He's saying, I want to know Jesus more than anything else in my life. I want to know his power his resurrection power. I want to have fellowship with him. How? Sufferings. Do you want to suffer for Jesus? Not that we want to, but Paul's saying, if I have to, I realize that God's going to use that and do something through that because this is what he says, being conformed to his death. Jesus suffered. If you're suffering today, you're in good company. Jesus suffered. And he suffered more than we can imagine. And then he goes this. He goes, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to talk to you about this passage in Philippians 3. Paul points out some things here. He says, I want to know Christ. Well, how do I know him? Through the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us as believers. The Holy Spirit. And, and because Christ was risen from the dead, because he was resurrected, and we are in Christ Jesus, it is a promise, it is a foretelling of what is awaiting us in the future. We will be resurrected. That's why Paul is saying, I'm trying to attain this resurrection from the dead. He's already got it, but he's using allegory here. He's teaching, he's teaching us that we keep striving and pushing towards Christ Jesus, our goal. And then he says, I want to know him by the fellowship of his suffering. I don't like to suffer. Do you like to suffer? Anybody in here? I just love pain. You know, there's a word for that. It's called crazy. I don't like pain. I hate pain. In fact, my whole life, I try to get out of pain. I, I seek comfort. We try to seek comfort in our life. But there's something that pain produces in us. There's something that trials and tribulations produce in us that far outweighs the pain that we're going through. There's something deep within us that God forges in the, in the fires of pain that produces something beautiful in our lives and the lives of other people. I've seen people suffer immensely with agonizing, long-lasting illness but I've also, and I've seen God use them in a miraculous way. And they may have gone to heaven, and, and they, God may not heal their body in that moment, 
But what they did in that illness and what they did in that pain and in that tribulation and in that trial, God used to bring other people to faith because they saw how they handled it. They saw their joy in it. They saw their almost blissful glee in what God was doing, even in their pain. Because here's the thing. I've never once heard somebody say, thank you, God, that I'm in pain. But I have heard people say, thank you, God, for what you're doing in my pain. There's a power that becomes real to us in our trials and in our pain and in our sufferings. Paul knew to weigh it out. Paul pondered and considered his life compared to Jesus Christ, compared to the glory that's waiting him. And see, we as believers, we kind of think that our lives, like everything on this world is all there is. And this is kind of like, this is my life. It's my treasure. It's mine. It's my precious. Right? My precious. It's mine. Everything in it is for me. And for a believer, sometimes we keep holding on to this life and we never fail to see the true life that God has for us. The true life that really God has given to us, a true treasure in heaven that cannot be stolen or cannot be wiped clean. Because here's what I found out. In our life, if you, if you summarize our life and, and, and say like our life is like this treasure chest, everybody has access to it. There's like no lock. Everybody can get in, dig what they want out. Everybody has your account number and routing number and social security number. And they've never sent you money from an IROB. You know, it's like weird. <laughs> Everybody has access. Your family, your friends, the people next door, the guy driving in front of you slow on the interstate. Sickness, trials, inflation job changes. All the things in this world are always taking something out of you. They're always withdrawing. They're always pulling out. And if you haven't realized this yet, your life, your account is always in the red. Your, your, your life, your account is always in the red because there's always something taking out more than you can put in. Doesn't matter how hard you work, doesn't matter how much you do, there's always something pulling more out than putting back in. You can work hard, you can sleep hard, <laughs> you can do all these things to try to add to your life, but in the end, in the end, we're all gonna be in the dirt. In the end, there's gonna be a final withdrawal because we're always operating in the red because we don't realize that there's another account at work. And for, for people who don't know that there's another account that we can tap into, that we can actually join into, we never fully come, become the person God wants us to be because here's the reality. And when we stand and compare our life, the things in this life to, to the things that God has promised us in the future and now, it's no comparison. I mean, we look at this and go, well, you know, my life's pretty good compared to God's. It's, it's pretty close to what he has for me. I mean, that's pretty close. But we really, as Paul puts it, I've considered my life. And, you know, it's not really that great compared 
to the fullness of God. But then he considers, again, he counts it. Again, he goes, I count my life as nothing. And he says, really, it's even smaller than that. Compared to the greatness and the fullness of God, what Jesus has in store for me compared to what this world wants to give me and what I can attain here on this earth, it's really nothing. He says there's some value to it because he says, I consider my life something, right? Rubbish. I consider my life rubbish. It's Archie Kiss. It's not really poop. <laughs> I was just going to eat it and go, hmm. It has some value. Make good fertilizer. Some nations burn it for fuel. I mean, there's some value in our life, but compared to the greatness of who God is, it's nothing. There's nothing in this life that can compare to the greatness of God. Paul knows this. Paul realizes this, and he writes this letter in prison. He writes this letter in prison. And he writes this after the point we're about to read in Acts 21. So if you can throw that up for us there, uh, back there in the back, Acts chapter 21. We're going to finish reading up before he goes to Jerusalem. Hopefully I didn't mess it up too bad in there. Acts 21, chapter, verse 7, verse 14, we're going to start in 7. So Paul is going from town to town. He's, he's encouraging the believers. He's heading back to Jerusalem. But on his way, he wants to go visit all the churches that he's planted and all the people that he's put in place and all his elders. So he's, he's meeting all the elders, and they're praying. And each, every time that he goes to a town, like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, man. They're waiting for you. He's like, I don't care. I have an assignment. Jesus is calling me to go there. And verse 7, we'll pick it up there. He says, and when he had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Pelot, uh, Palomas, greeted the brethren, stayed with them one day, and on the next day, we who were Paul's companions. So Luke starts writing here in the first person. The, the writer of Acts is Luke. And he says this, on the next day, we, including Luke, who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and he stayed with them. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and we stayed many days, and a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This prophet knew what was going on. He spoke truth. God was telling these four virgin daughters, Tell Paul. But he wasn't telling him so he wouldn't go. He was preparing him for the pain that he was going to have to endure. And so he's, he's reminding Paul, you're going to go here. Don't back out. Don't back down. Because he had the opportunity here to back out and to back down and not run headlong into what God had waiting for him. So it says now in verse, uh, verse 12, now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Looks like, Paul, don't go. To Jerusalem, I've been with you this whole time. Don't go. Don't go. And then Paul answered them, 
What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul considered he reconciled his accounts. He was ready. What can, what can happen to me on this earth? Nothing. What can happen to me here? I have an eternal glory waiting for me that's greater than anything that I can imagine. So do what you made to me on this earth. It doesn't matter. Since I'm willing to go there, I'm willing to put, put in jail, I'm even willing to die for the name of Jesus. Verse 14, so when we would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. It's in our lives when we can get to that point. Say, Lord, I don't like this pain. I don't like the trial. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't understand it. I don't know why. I don't know if it's going to ever end. But Lord, I'm praying that it will. But Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. Because Lord, I know you have a plan even in my pain. Too many times we ask God to get us out of our pain and we should be asking God, what do you want us to do in our pain? Because here's what I've discovered. It's in those deep, hard moments of my life. When, when, I'm, when I'm in the most pain, when I'm in the most disappointment, when I'm struggling the most, it's in those moments where I get closer to God than I've ever been. It's in those moments where I get a greater revelation of who God is. Because I fellowship with him in my suffering. Because I realize that Jesus suffered. So what makes me think that I'm exempt from suffering? But I take comfort because I do not suffer alone. And I take comfort knowing that my suffering has a purpose. And compared to the eternal thing that's waiting for me, my temporary, momentary struggles fail to compare to the glory that's awaiting for me in heaven. Jesus has promised us there's something waiting for us. Don't give up. Don't be like me and write hot checks your whole life. Reconcile. Reconcile your accounts. Ponder. Go outside. Stare at the stars. See the magnitude of our creator. And look at your life and say, what could compare? What is my life to you, Jesus? What does it matter? What do you have in store for me? I'm telling you, there's nothing better, nothing better. Because things will come up against you. Trials will happen. Pain will happen. But as Mike said Monday, for us who know Jesus, for us who have, who have been saved by him and know him, and are, 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 have a firm foundation in who he is. Things may shake us, things may move us, but we stand on firm ground because we know who our maker is and we know where our future is. And so we can watch the news, we can watch all the weird TikTok videos, we can watch all the things talking about everything's ending and we need to pay attention, don't get me wrong, but we don't have to be afraid. And we don't have to be fearful because we know that in the end, we have an eternal glory waiting for us. 
We have a treasure that cannot be taken away. I love Job. In the deepest part of his pain, if you've ever read the book of Job without falling asleep, number one, good job. <laughs> I've, I fell asleep lots of times reading Job. But towards the end of the book of Job, I believe uh, chapter 20, yeah, chapter 19, he sums up this. He's lost everything. He's lost his family. He's lost his home. Now he's sitting in his own wounds, like scars. He's scraping his scars with pottery. His friends are around him, accusing him, telling him, you've, got, you've done something bad. Obviously, there's something bad you've done because God is judging you. And after Job tells his case to his friends and, and tries to make a case saying, I didn't do anything wrong, but yet God can still do what he wants to do. He says this in verse 25 of chapter 19. But as for me... Because at this moment, maybe he was like, I want, you know, many people give up on this. They give up on their faith because the pain's too hard and the, and the struggle's too real. I heard somebody yesterday went to a men's conference and he said, your faith will only take you as far as your pain threshold. Your faith will only take you as long and as far as you're willing to endure pain. Job said this, I may be in pain, I may be lost, I may not have anything, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Savior lives. I know that there's a future, and he will stand upon the earth at last. This is prophetic about Jesus. He will stand on the earth at last, and after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. What? If you're dead, resurrection. He goes, with my own eyes, I will see him. I am overwhelmed at that thought. He reconciled his account. He understood where he was. He understood that pain is temporary compared to the glory of God. Have you ever seen that movie, Father Stu? If you had, don't be like, I did, but I shouldn't have watched it. It's got a lot of curse words in it, a lot of cussing. But in that movie, it's, it's a movie about a man named Father Stu. He, he, this man, Stu Stewart, he grew up rough, 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 rough. Came from a rough family. He was a boxer by trade. And he just he couldn't box anymore because his body was shutting down. So he, he moves, the, the, the movie says, goes, he moved to Hollywood to find, to get an acting gig because maybe his body can handle that. Never worked out. Now, this movie's dramatized, so, you know, take what, take what it is. But the bottom line of the movie is Father Stu is, finds faith in Jesus, has a horrible accident, motorcycle accident, realizes that there must be a God chasing after him, and his life switches at that moment. He gives up everything to follow Jesus. He gives up love. He gives up his life. His family tells him, what are you doing? They're atheists. And they're like, what are you doing following this Jesus? What are you, some kind of weirdo? And they actually mock him for it in the movie. Again, it's dramatized. But he comes to a point where, he's, where he says, no, I think God's called me to be a priest. So he joins the Catholic diocese. He starts learning to be a priest. And, and in that moment, when he's, when he's studying to become a priest, his body starts shutting down. He has this muscular disease that just eventually will kill him. There's no cure, no way out. Suffering is waiting for him. 
But he endures. He says, no, God has called me to do this. I don't know how much time I have, but God has called me to do this, and I'm going to do it. I give up everything, and I'm not going to quit now. See, it's in that moment when they get that news saying, you're going to die. There's no cure. You're going to slowly decay, and things are going to stop working, and then you're going to eventually stop breathing, and then your life is over. Many people give up on their faith. Many people walk out on God. Many people say, well, God, if you really love me, then this wouldn't happen. Or you can have a different view. And you can say and see that God is working even in your suffering. That God can use the pain that you have for a purpose. So I want to show you a, a picture. Uh, I want to show you a clip from this movie, Father Stu. So there's no, I, I edited it to make sure there's no cuss words in it, all right? It's rated R for a reason. So I'm not endorsing the movie, but I am endorsing what God did to, to Father Stewart. And you can read his story. It's amazing. That's what even wrote, made uh, Mark Wahlberg want to write this movie and act in it because this man's story inspired him to take his faith more literally. And it actually drew him closer to Christ. And so the scene we're going to watch is like the, the ending of the movie. So I'm going to blow it for you. The ending of the movie... He's been ordained as a pastor. He didn't think that ever happened. They, they make him a priest, and this is his first little sermon. So you can go and watch it. The Lord told me I was a bad advertiser. Imagine that. I'm the boss of mine at the supermarket. I kept coming in with a face looking more like we're all meat than what I was selling. Of course, at the time, I thought that man was wrong. Oh, world was wrong when it came to me. Every brawl I had was beating back at the world. I thought it done me wrong. Yeah. Every drop of blood I shed was proof of my war against God's injustice. I look worse now than I did then. That's for sure. The difference is. Now I know my suffering's a gift from God. I know it sounds like bull, but it's coming from a man in a wheelchair, so you got to entertain it. <laughs> Hear me out. All our outer nature's wasting away, but our inner nature is being renewed every day. In this life, no matter how long it lasts, is a momentary affliction preparing us for eternal glory. And we shouldn't pray for an easy life, but the strength to endure a difficult one. Because the experience of suffering is the fullest expression of God's love. It is a chance to be closer to Christ. I know myself is perfectly. For sure not me. Even Christ had his moment of despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asked from the cross. Christ felt betrayed. You see, in that moment, he who was sinless took on all our sins and got judged by God. He took what we deserve. 
because he loves us. And that love can make the baddest man a believer. Because that love has a feeling like no other. And lead you all to find and feel that love. That's why God has given me the senior group to die. And for that, I thank him every day. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us, Do not store up your treasures here on earth, where moths and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal, where people have your bank account and routing number. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. This life that we have, so quick. The pain we endure is so temporary compared to the glory of God. And our lives, rather insignificant. But as David said, who am I that you would even be mindful of me? We put our lives into the care of Jesus. And he makes us whole. And then we're sealed in the kingdom. And nobody has the key to this. Nobody has the account number. Nobody has the routing number. Nobody can get in and steal. We are secure, safe, and sound in Christ Jesus. And we become in, in him. He becomes our life. He becomes our keeper, our savior, we are sealed in him. And now it's all here. For the believer, what happens when you call on the name of Jesus and you walk into his kingdom, our accounts get transferred. The believer looks at our, the account that in this hand, this is my life, this is my world. It's pretty rough. It's pretty withdrawn. What am I supposed to do? And then he looks at God and says, you've got something I don't have. You've got something that I truly need, and that's to be in your presence, to be in your family, to be in your kingdom. And for the believer at that time of salvation, when you give your faith to Jesus, you write on your account, you sign it over to Jesus, and you put it in his account. And his account pays for it all. Like I said, we don't owe anybody anything. The only thing we owe is our gratitude. That for the believer, our accounts are paid in full. Now, we live in this. Despite what happens to this body, despite the pain we go through and the loss that we endure, 
We still have a heavenly hope. And because of that, we can be like Paul and say, I rejoice. I'm still joyful. Nothing can take my joy. Nothing can withdraw from that account. I'm not going to let anything withdraw from that account. My joy is made complete in Jesus Christ. And so today, I'm going to ask you a question, if you can all stand. We have our prayer team up here. I can get it. I need one more team member to come up for prayer. We have a couple, a couple more. For prayer. Today's the day that you write that account off. I don't know what you, I don't know what's on your account, but you're withdrawn. You know it. It's in the red. Can't stop the bleeding. Today's your day to sign over that account to Jesus. Let him stamp paid in full on it. And he'll write you into his account. You are part of that inheritance. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty, that's the beauty of it. Now we don't have to have it all. He's got it all. And we can endure all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. That's more than just running a marathon. That's my life through Christ Jesus. So right now, I, just, I would like you to pray. And I would like you to pray. Say, Lord, maybe I don't know that my account is empty. Maybe I've been writing checks with my life that I don't have the funds to cash. Lord, I need you. Write me into your account. And I want you to think about this, guys. Don't, don't repeat it. I want you to think about this before we say this together. Are you truly going to do this? Are you, really going, are you really ready to give your life fully? That's your whole life. Not parts of it, not pieces of it. Your whole life to Jesus. Your whole account. You don't get to keep any of it. You don't get a side account. You don't get an IRA. You don't get, it's, you give it all to him. Because you know what? It's all bankrupt anyway. You give it all to him and he gives you something else. Jesus in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the poor. Because why? They will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the bankrupt because they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And today, you may be bankrupt, but I want you to know today you can inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm going to pray this prayer. You're going to pray it with me. And then if you say this and you mean it, I want you to come up and let these prayer team members pray with you and pray over you. Because I know today, I believe there's seven people that need to come up and give their life to Jesus for the very first time. Never have before. So Father, I pray that you would draw me up if I need to come up. I write my account over to you. My sins are greater than what I can ever achieve. I cannot earn my way to you, Father. 
you have to pay this account off. You give me loan forgiveness because Jesus paid the bill. And I surrender my life to Jesus right now. And I come to you. So if that's you right now, just come up. 